My name is Jason Barnwell. I work on legal business operations and strategy for Microsoft. Today, I am chatting with Elka Suber, an assistant general counsel for Microsoft's marketing and consumer business. She leads the team that counsels Microsoft's stores business. Elka, thank you so much for taking the time to chat today. Jason, it's fantastic to be here. I'm very excited and looking forward to the conversation. So Elka, I like to start these off getting a sense of people's background and when, where they're coming from and, and how they got to Microsoft. So what brought you to the law? Give us a little bit of your story. Well, um, I wasn't one of those students who knew I wanted to be a lawyer early. Uh, in fact, I don't think I really ever even thought about what it was to be a lawyer until I guess the seed might have been planted or not might, it was planted in high school when um, actually my teacher who was doing, I, I want to say it was our, our economics class or finance class, he actually sort of did this module about the different people who help run a business. And one of those people that he had joined um, our class was a lawyer. Um, and the guy that came and spoke to the class, he was a guy from Brooklyn, who's from my neighborhood and had gone on to law school. Wait a minute, are you from Brooklyn? I'm from Brooklyn. <laughs> and, you know, we had a great time. And actually, at the end of class, he actually had us all, he had the class over to his house. And so I, so that definitely planted the seed. Like, all right, this guy's from my neighborhood. He went to law school. It must be okay. To this day, I couldn't even tell you what his practice area was. I didn't ask. He was just a lawyer. Um, I went on to college. I was undecided, you know, th things I counsel everybody against, but I did it. Um, ended up majoring in English with a minor in German. And um, I, I went to school with a lot of my classmates were going on to teach. They either wanted to teach, um, you know, sort of in, in elementary or high school, or some wanted to be professors. And with an English degree, everybody kind of thought, well, yeah, you too, right? And I was like, yeah, no, I, I don't think I want to teach. And I was like, I don't think I want to do insurance, which was the job that I landed between my, you know, it was a great job, don't get me wrong, but I was kind of like, ah, oh, what do I want to do? And I, so I really didn't decide on law school until like my junior year. And then I was like hustling to study. It's like the story of my life. I think I'm just going to do this. And then I just jumped in, uh, you know, having no idea what law school was going to be about. And so... Having not much of a background on what law school and the law really were, like, what was your experience of law school and how did you navigate that? And what, like, how did you get through it? Because it's really hard to do that without somebody who can kind of give you the playbook. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, I, I always say sometimes things just line up in your life, right? So I made the decision, like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to law school. And, and by doing that, it led, led to a couple different steps, one of which was, okay, I should probably go to a graduate school, you know, um, conference or something to learn more about graduate schools or law schools. And um, I went to one in Philadelphia, met several different, like, law school recruiters. I'm sure I'm not calling them the right name, but... Um, one was Freddie Miller um, at the University of Pittsburgh, and she was just phenomenal, like the, her presentation. And she actually talked more about what do you learn in law school, what it's about. And, but one of the things that was always in the back of my mind, well, how am I going to pay for this? But, you know, whatever, like, you know, one problem at a time. And Freddie Miller um, actually talked to us about this program called um, CLEO, the Council on Legal Educational Opportunities. 
And it sounded phenomenal. Number one, you got to go to a summer program that introduced you to law school classes. So I was like, that sounds awesome. And number two, at that time, if you successfully completed the summer program, uh, you got scholarship money to go to law school. So I was like, I I gotta get into this program. Um, And so getting into, I applied to Clio. I mean, I just was like, I gotta just do this. So I applied to Clio and luckily for me, I got in and um, learned that summer very quickly that OMG, law school is all about reading. Okay, check, I can do that. It's all about writing. Well, you know, I was very confident. I'm an English writer, major. Uh, Little did I know, like, ah, duh. Yeah, creative writing is completely different from legal writing. Um, But the opportunity to be part of the Clio program introduced me to things to things that basically gave me a baseline with others who may have had lawyers in their family. Just the experience of understanding, here's how classes are in law school. Uh, you and your English degree, guess what? You're going to have to learn how to write like a lawyer. So you're, um, And the fact that there's all these different areas of the law. Right. My exposure to law was like, OK, you know, a television show, um, it's trial lawyers. And I was like, OK, I guess I could figure out how to do that. But being in the Clio program was really just a great introduction to, wow, this thing is serious. It's a lot of reading, a ton of writing. And OMG, you get one exam for everything. And that was something you don't really experience too much. And I was like, all right, well. I think I can handle this. And on I went. I think there are many of us who don't have folks in the legal profession, either in our families or or in our backgrounds. Mm -hmm. And we have these kind of abstract notions (laughs) of what it is. And so we make all these kind of suppositions and plans that aren't really informed. And, you know, I, I think that's part of what makes it tough, but it also gives us a different perspective. Sure. And we come in with kind of a, a, a fresh eyes on things. Yeah. And I think it often makes us uh, skeptical and creative. Absolutely. I mean, I was just, you know, it's funny looking back now, I was just so excited to just learn mm-hmm. about all the different things that I could do. And then I was like, probably having been undecided in college, I was kind of like, this is great. I got like three years. Okay, maybe two. Okay. And then I learned, no, actually really have one to figure it out. Um, But I was just excited about the opportunity and what doors were going to potentially be opened, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So off I went to law school. Okay. So you you get through law school and then what happens? Ooh, we don't, you know, we got to get some other topics. No, it's it's great. Um, I went to law school at the University of Pittsburgh, Mm -hmm. which was a phenomenal experience. I might be one of those really rare people that are like, I really enjoyed law school. But I think it was in part because of the community that we had there, the community of professors. I had some amazing professors. The best thing about going to Pitt, it's kind of like the first stop before you go to Harvard and Stanford. So, hey, I'm getting, you know, great education, amazing professors who are writing, who are just on fire about what they're doing. And so to kind of have that um, being infused into you as a student was great. But then I also had a great um, community of peers that I went to school with, many of which 
you know, we're still friends to this day. I mean, I can easily count folks that, you know, you, we've been to each other's weddings. We're following each other through the careers. We get to celebrate um, the wins we've had as professionals. So I know that's not a common experience when I think, when I talk to some of my, you know, my peers, our peers who've gone to law school. Um, but we had an incredible time and we just thought like, we're going to rock this thing. And, um, and, you know, just the, the camaraderie. And we really pushed against what, you know, you hear a lot about law school is sort of like, look to you get in the class first day and it's like, look to your left, look to your right. You know, many of you may not even be here in year three. And some of that is true. Some of that happened because it's a rigorous course of study. But I think just the community and friends that I made in law school, um, they're some of my best friends to this day. So, I, <laughs> yeah, that is I think that is a unique experience. So. Just walk us through your your actual practice. Like sure. What, what, what happened? So, um, out of law school, um, I'll, I'll, I'll tell a little tiny story. Basically, in law school, I figured out, okay, I'm not going to be, I don't think I want to be a litigator. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you guys a little, you know, a little laugh right now. Uh, that's exactly what I ended up doing. But, you know, in law school, I was like, oh, I'm going to be like this international trade lawyer. Maybe I will do intellectual property. So, it was always in my mind to work in business. Um, I summered with IBM, actually. And at the time, IBM was supposed to have still been hiring directly out of law school. So I was like, this is going to be phenomenal, international business, blah, blah, blah. Um, Turns out they decided to, at that point in time, stop hiring directly out of law school. So I found myself as a third-year law student having to find a job. And, you know, when you come up against a bend in your path and you're, you know, you can imagine as a third year law student, it's like, oh no, how do I manage this? But it turned out to be another, you know, just wonderful fork in the road. Ended up um, clerking for a superior court appellate judge uh, in Pennsylvania. That clerkship led to a federal district court clerkship. That then led to being a litigator <laughs> um, with, a, with a fantastic, um, practice in Philadelphia at I was at Anderson Kilinolik. Um and I was with a major firm in a small office so I just got to get right into it I mean and the fact is I came out of two two phenomenal clerkships so it was sort of like I was on the job and it was like okay hey you ready to go take a deposition hey let's you know you've got this motion to go argue up and so I was at it um, I still had in the back of my mind that I really wanted to be in an intellectual property practice and um, at the office that I was at we didn't have an IP group so I decided to volunteer with lawyers for the arts in Philadelphia to sort of get the intellectual property experience and I joined the intellectual property bar and I went to everything that was IP you would have thought I was you know one of the top IP lawyers um, but what it did is it helped me get embedded with the local IP community and that then helped me transition into um, the intellectual property group at Aiken Gump and there I became a copyright trademark specialist and was doing both actually transactional and uh, learning the transactional side of the business while still do litigating um, copyright patent and trademark cases um, and then got an opportunity to go in-house and join the business and technology law group within Cigna and a lot of people are like Cigna that's healthcare and I'm like yeah baby but it's data it's business it's software how are you gonna manage all that information and all that data so it was really interesting to to make that transition and um, 
really in a company like that, I was on the side of working on deals where we were purchasing software, where we were purchasing, entering into business process outsourcing deals of how are we gonna manage tech data for the company. Um, and so that's sort of what I did. Um, I ended up at Microsoft actually because I, when I was still an associate at Aiken Gump, I met Bruce Jackson, who at the time was a lawyer here. And um, we became fast friends, uh, kind of kept up with each other. Uh, a role in the copyright group opened up while I was still an associate at Aiken Gump. And, um, you know, so we, Bruce gave me a call and he said, oh, I think you'd be amazing, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, fine. I talked to the recruiter at Microsoft. They were like, nice to meet you, not enough experience, see you later. And, you know, but I had a good call, I had a good conversation. I said, okay, it's no problem, you know. And years, a couple years passed, I was in-house at Cigna, and I came home from work, and it was a call, a message. Hi, this is uh, the Microsoft recruiter. We spoke a few years ago. We've got another role. Would you be interested? And uh, so you never know. And uh, so I said, "Ah, yeah, sure, no problem. I'll talk to you guys again. And then landed the job, and voila. That's how I ended up at Microsoft. There's a couple things that I want to rewind on. Sure. So, one, you just gave us the perfect vignette of one of the ways to transition careers. So, it, it is often the case that people are like, I want to, I, I am doing practice X. Yeah. I would like to get into practice Y. And the secret is almost always to give away your time. Yes. Right? So, yeah. you volunteered, you basically gave away your time, you started, you know, walking with the ducks and talking like the ducks, and that's how you turned yourself into a duck. And, Absolutely. And it is, it is so often that I get questions like, how do I get more access to kind of your realm? And the answer is give your time away. The other thing that you mentioned is Bruce Jackson, who mm -hmm. has a legendary family tree at Microsoft. Yes. And I think I will, I will just kind of step out of this a little bit and say, uh, when we when we talk about you know kind of DNI and and like changing the composition of the profession, yeah. there are some people who have a special impact mm -hmm. on that, and you are one of those people. So now I will actually get to the thing I wanted to get to, which is okay. I am at Microsoft because of you. Well, so Elka Suber is the one who brought me to Microsoft, and she did just uh, I think what was just a Thursday for Elka, but she she gave her time away uh, to the Young Lawyers Division of the Washington uh, King County Bar Association. And you did that. You did an event at uh, a local law firm. You did uh, a panel where you did like the View. The View. Yes, I remember that. Yes. <laughs> and I remember. I'm like, who is this person? Who is this vivacious personality? Was so excited. You were so excited about. You, you talk about your practice, what you did, and that was really what opened my mind to think like, oh, maybe I should consider a role at a place like Microsoft. Like maybe there's a place for someone like me there. Mm -hmm. And so it is easy to think that the small things that we do right. do not have impact, but they really do. And so it's I always find it so intriguing to, to talk about kind of the chain, the links in the chain the that links, connect. Yes. Because, you know, Bruce did. Yes. And then you did. And now it's incumbent upon me to do. Yes. And so uh, I, I take that obligation very seriously. But so I just want to pause and, and offer my gratitude. Well, thank you. Yes. Well, and I'm very glad you came to Microsoft because you've been amazing as well. And now here we are. Now here doing a podcast that's right wow. so so you're at microsoft now Let, let's let's talk about what you do now because you you have kind of a big job yeah tell, it's awesome yeah tell tell me about what it is that you do and what your team does sure um 
I, you know, I, I get to lead the legal team that supports Microsoft Store business, um, which is the company's direct sales business for consumer as well as small and medium business. And I think a lot of people don't realize that we really have been growing over the last 10 years. One, in selling direct to consumers, um, whether it's through our physical stores or our digital stores, um, but then also quietly building a direct motion um, for our small and medium business customers. And so um, the business that we support, it, they operate all of our physical and digital stores worldwide. We're in over 100 markets, and the team that I support, um, or that I work with and that I help, that I lead, we are the legal team for the worldwide business. So that's, you know, when you talk about full circle, remember I said in law school, I wanted to do like international trade. Well, guess what? I get to lead a legal team that is managing an international business. And so it's it's been fantastic. And uh, we celebrate uh, this year, 10 years of Microsoft really, you know, starting to be in this business of um, direct sales to our customers. Um, and it's fantastic. You know, it's grown into a multi-million dollar biz- worldwide business. Mul- mul- sorry, multi... I Multi-billion thank, dollar thank you. worldwide business, yes. Um, and we've continued to see growth year over year. So it, it's great, yeah. So what... I, I, I think people don't really understand. Like, So what is the strategic value of this business? Because I, I think... It is low-key important, and mm-hmm. I think it's it's helpful to kind of tease out some of the other things that it enables us to do as a company. There's so many things that it enables us to do. I, I think probably when this business was started, one of the initial goals was to just get closer to our customers. We've had a model as a business for most of our history, working with partners and partners selling our products direct to customers. But there's a there's something that you don't get when when you're not in direct connection with your customer, and we really saw with the rise of digital um, e-commerce and digital sales that actually it's important both from a digital perspective but also a physical perspective, which is why you know the company decided to invest in physical retail stores. Um, one because we got to control um, what. The experiences, the experience was, and the experiences that we could offer directly to our customers. Um, so we get this voice of the customer back in directly that helps us in terms of product development, in terms of understanding what our customers want, in terms of understanding what's the experience with our customers when they open up that beautiful Surface device and they've got to use it for the first time. And um, I'm really proud of the team and the interconnection that we have with our engineering and marketing teams by bringing that voice of the customer back. Um, The other thing is it helps create a channel, uh, a pipeline of um, revenue that can then be reinvested to continue to build um, and to support the growth of businesses like Azure and Dynamics, you know, which is incredible. And a lot of people don't think about that. But just as we are selling products that we've had, Office, Windows, PCs, things of that nature, we can then use that revenue to help invest in things like AI, artificial intelligence. And so it's it's great to also understand that like our other sales channels, we're one of those channels that are helping create the revenue to reinvest in really what's gonna be next for the future of the company. Well, that's a real strategic asset for us that I don't think people always perceive. Uh, So 
your team provides general counseling responsibilities for a huge business. Yes. And so what are some of the biggest legal challenges that you're you're solving for your clients at this time? So I think just as my clients are always solving for how can they be best, you know, world-class best in what they're doing, we're solving for how can we be best in class as well in terms of the legal support that we provide, whether it's issues that our physical store employees might face on a day-to-day business, working directly with customers, whether it's keeping... um, keeping pace with changes in privacy and um, e-commerce laws around the world (laughs) to understand how do we operate in certain markets and territories. Um, You know, it's how do we ensure that when we're dealing with data or when we're trying to get product to customers, how do we deal with trade regulations and how do we deal with import and export situations when we have uh, employees that have to, um, that we may want to move from one territory to the next. Right now, we're planning the launch of our first uh, flagship store in Europe. It'll be in London. And, you know, we've got a set of uh, employees that it would be an amazing opportunity for them to be able to go and and work in that store or have a learning experience in that store. Well, we've got to work with our immigration team and we've got to work with our UK government affairs team to kind of understand, hey, what are the parameters within which we, we can do that? And so... It's been a phenomenal experience. I mean, for me to be able to see the league and my team, the legal issues that they have to deal with um, really from, you know, from A to Z that could come up on any given day with a customer. I mean, when, you know, not not recently, but, you know, for example, we deal with things. What happens when there's a natural disaster and you've got product and route, you've got customers, you've got your people. How do you help them? How do you make sure that they're okay? So it's been, in, uh, it's, it's incredible, just the breadth of things that we get to touch. I, I mean, the, descri- the description you just gave us is general counseling. I mean, that yeah, is no, absolutely. left to right yeah. <laughs> issues across <laughs> a huge geography. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that, that sounds like a fun job. It's a fantastic job. And, you know, I've got to give a ton of credit to the business leaders I work with. David Porter, he's been amazing. Um, he's the head of our um, Microsoft Stores business and Tula Ridala, and she's the head of our digital stores business um, working with David. Um, the beauty of it is we op- this is how we operate. And they expect me, as their general counsel for their business, to understand the variety of issues, whether it's a huge deal that we're trying to land to help us build out technology tools for our digital stores, or if it's something as um, more uh, localized to helping um, a customer deal with an issue in the store. I mean, it, yeah, it can go from, you know, really huge issues to small issues, but they're all important issues because at the end of the day, we, um, particularly in the legal profession, we operate to serve our customers and we operate to, you know, we serve as a service function for our, our teams as well. But also always want to throw in how can we help the business create impact? How can we provide, you know, move obstacles and even help them come up with creative ways to do things that they want to do and sort of make sure that they don't have roadblocks. So I have had the privilege of seeing you operate in many spheres. 
and I'll note that you're an exceptional counselor, an exceptional leader, but you also are a pretty solid business person. And by that, I mean you have a really high EQ and you understand how to basically spot gaps that you can help with and create value. And this conversation was triggered because you and I were having a chat in Red West Cafe and we were commenting on the process of business development. Yes. I, I, so now I'd like to kind of transition and start. Sure. I want to get some of your thoughts on, on what that means. Uh, and I, 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 you know, we'll, we'll, we'll migrate to some other places, sure. but I'd really like to start thinking about like, okay, how do you, let me, let me tee this up. So outside counsel, mm-hmm. they want your business because you have good business and yes. you have lots of it. What are the ways that people can engage with you or someone like you, yeah. Because I don't want to serve you up as a, as a buffet for people. <laughs> but well, how are pe- ways that people can engage with you to, to really actually get to know your business and yeah. then ultimately potentially, if they're lucky, serve your business? Sure. You know, I the biggest thing that I think no one talks about is that law school doesn't prepare you. It doesn't really teach you that you know what you are actually going to be your own entrepreneur. It's almost like we should be taking a class with the business students on how to be entrepreneurs and how to manage our own business. And because it's something that really isn't isn't discussed, if you work in private practice, that's what eventually you will have to become. And frankly, even as I'm working in-house, I have to still have that Um, those aspects of managing a business for myself in terms of managing my brand, managing what I have to offer to other folks. And so I recognize no one teaches us this in law school. And if you're not sort of just built that way, which I wasn't, I mean, you know, frankly, when I have to sell anything, I'm like, ah, and right, I've got kids. They're like, hey, mom, can you sell this popcorn? I'm like, the popcorn's delicious, but I don't know if I really want to like, you know, go and try to get you some sales. But you have to get past that as a lawyer. But the but I think the key thing, you know, um, that that we don't do is understand what's the most important part of actually being able to sell with sell what we have as lawyers, right? And uh, I think we talked about this before as well, right? Like in real estate, it's location, location, location. In the law, it's relationships, relationships, relationships. You've got to have a relationship with someone before they'll even consider buying something with you, right? It's very, hey, do I know you? Can I trust you? And just because you have Esquire behind your name, well, okay, check, the person has taken the bar, check they're they're authorized to practice law but they really they want to have a relationship with you they want to understand who you are so when i talk to you know and i did have the opportunity to share with a friend um hey here's the best way to try to get my business one learn be a learner learn what i do learn what my business is and ask me questions and talk to me two teach me about you what do you do? What's your area of specialty? Because maybe maybe I don't need your area of specialty, but guess what? I know other people who might need your expertise. So it never hurts to, for me to understand what you do. But those two things are all great. But if I don't have a relationship with you where I feel like we've built some level of common respect, trust between each other, 
it's a little hard for me to say I'm going to trust you with this work if I haven't had an opportunity to see your work, to, to be involved and maybe hear you speak, things of that nature. And there's some really simple ways that you can build relationships that kind of help highlight your expertise. Wow, you're speaking at something. Maybe you want to invite me so I can come and hear it. Um, two, maybe you're being honored somewhere. Wow, that might be a great situation. Oh, you wrote something, or even if you didn't write it, you found something that you thought would be interesting to me. Just the fact that you're identifying something that is important to me, that's another great way to build relationships. And um, you know, when I when I share that or when I talk about it, it seems like, oh yeah, that's. But it's kind of like I tell people sometimes, I think as lawyers, we don't think about it as sometimes building a friendship. If you you and I are friends and I see something that I know, oh, wow, you know, Jason loves bikes. This this looks like a really interesting article on bikes. Let me just send it to him. And we don't do enough of that, I think, as professionals to kind of help build the relationship with those that either one you want to work with um, or that you know you hope to work with or whatever the case may be. So I, I think you nailed it because so part of my day job is trying to basically be the matchmaker and a market maker <laughs> yes. for you know legal yeah. legal needs and legal services. Yeah. And it's very often that people show up and they basically show up like, look at my pedigree, I am so smart. And it's like that's great. Right. But these people don't know you. Yeah. And a lot of what we are trying to solve for when we when we hire outside counsel is bringing on partners who we don't have to police. Right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Like, I want you to be doing the right thing when I'm not looking. Mm-hmm. And the only way I get to there is to get to know you as a person, yeah. as somebody who I can trust, who will who will advance my client's needs when I'm not watching. Yeah. And that's some one of the things that I, I, I don't... I, I, it shocks me because I see so much behavior that feels, looks, and smells transactional, mm. and then people are surprised, like, well, why are you not coming back? To why, like, why are you not coming back for my amazing service? Like, well, because yeah, I don't think you gave us anything to hang on to. Right. And so yeah. I, I just find it very interesting that, uh, e- e- like, you're absolutely right, that it's one of these things that we're not taught. Yes. Um, and the, the other challenge is, if you only get this through informal teaching, then unfortunately, that has a disproportionate impact on people who don't get great mentorship. Absolutely. So it tends to be, it, it turns into this kind of vicious yeah. cycle that has people yeah. not stick. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's it's having that curiosity to learn, want to learn. I mean, I, I of course have experienced it. I've experienced lawyers who, hey, I'd really love to, to, to work with you. How can I help you? but they have no idea of what my business is, the breadth of it. They have no idea about the key issues because they haven't taken the time out to be curious about what I do mm-hmm. and to understand where I might need support. Um, so that's been an interesting, you know, and I try to help people where I can, but I think it's, um, you know, build a relationship, invest in the relationship, invest in your own learning, right? I mean. There is nothing wrong with someone going out and go and, and doing the reading and, 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 and figuring things out. And, and even if you're not quite sure, wow, what a different conversation we're going to have if you're approaching me and you say, wow, I see that you guys have 100 stores open. And wow, what was that like? I read a news article that you opened 30 stores on one day. What was that experience like? Wow, I see you're going into London. It's Brexit is happening. What are some of the challenges that you might have faced kind of working through some of the legal issues there. 
So, you could do that just by doing a search on Bing. <laughs> so, so there's something that you're offering that, it, it, I hope it's not subtle, but curiosity doesn't mean showing up on the doorstep and basically asking right. Elka to just disgorge all of this information. No. It's doing your homework before you show up. Absolutely. It's understanding what is Alka's yeah. business? It's it's going on LinkedIn and understanding like, do we have any relationships in common? Is sure. there anybody who can introduce me? Do we have any kind of commonality? Yeah. Is there any other services? So happening. So, oh, I see Elka's on the board of Beesla. Like, oh, well, do, do we have any connections there? It's yes. really thinking through, you know, all the ways that we can find ways to understand yeah. each other better. And yeah. and in many ways, what you're looking for are intermediaries who can speak to your credit so that you come in with some amount of trust. Yes. Yeah. And if you do that, then you start tilting the board in your favor. Like you're starting to walk downhill. I think that's absolutely right. And the other thing I would say is know your value. Know what is it? What is the unique differentiated value that you could bring to me that no one else that's in your practice can bring? What makes you the person that I should be working with because you're going to bring this value. And it means knowing what your value is, knowing what you have to bring to the table. So that is huge because there are lots and lots of people who do great legal work. Yeah. And I can't tell you how often people show up and they're like, I do type of work X. And it's like, that is great. And can you help me understand why the other dozen people who already do that work for us, like what is different about you? Yeah. What are you going to do? What yeah. is the service you're going to provide that should cause us to potentially dislodge an existing relationship? Sure. And hey, if you're already the person providing the service, you should also be thinking, what's the differentiated value that I'm providing other than I'm the person that's always done this work? And, you know, so I think, again, as lawyers, particularly when we are in a service industry, how can you continue to bring value? And I mean, I've even had conversations with some of my long-term counsel, and I'm like, wow, you know, I'm learning about issues that are really critical for me, but I'm not learning about it from you. I'm learning about it from other lawyers. You know, and I and I wanted to share that because I think it's critical for even if you have the business, what's the value that you're bringing other than you've always had the business? So you are our relationship lead for one of our major partner accounts, like major, yes. major. And yeah. I must say that it has been a delight to watch you work with those partners because yeah. our dialogue has just improved. I feel yeah. like our connections with them have, have gotten so yeah. much better because you have done such a great job of, of investing in them and getting them more access, getting them more understanding of what they can go after. No, it's been great. It's no, it's been, it's been great. And I didn't mean to interrupt, but um, you know, thanks for that opportunity too, because it's interesting because you don't, actually even realize what you could bring right to them and a lot of times even as outside counsel sure i mean you know you know there's something you need to bring to your in-house counsel but i think the tack that i took is hey as inside counsel how can i help you you know i work with a ton of great associates how can i help make sure that those associates are getting recognized for the work that they do sitting down and sending an email picking up the phone and making a call and saying wow I work with this really great lawyer. His name is Tim, and he's been doing phenomenal work for us. Um, How can I help make sure he's getting visibility for all this great work? Because 
that relationship is helping ensure that the bigger relationship is solid and that we still see value. And so that's important as well. So this is one of the things you do that I don't know that enough people do and they don't understand that it is one of the most, it will cost you very little, but it gets you crazy impact. If you go to your relationship partners and you highlight the people who are doing great work for you, mm-hmm. you will get even better work from those people. But you will also, you start basically attracting even higher quality uh, legal professionals from your from from your partner yeah. to your work. It's a virtuous cycle. It is a virtuous cycle. And you yeah. also support those people in their career. And so now they have yeah. real desire and passion to do right by you, to, yeah. to take care of you as the client and the customer and I continue to be amazed at uh, (laughs) it is so often that people won't take just the 45 seconds to fire off a quick email saying like you know what Maya was fantastic Mm -hmm. like she just she just killed it and we appreciate it and this was the specific impact she had and and two sentences can just make the can really make a difference in someone's career well the other thing I I also think about and I'm and I'm grateful that I had a manager that helped me see this. I was in a role where I wasn't managing. I probably wasn't going to get a management opportunity, but I was actually managing a lot of outside counsel. And my manager at the time said, you know, look, I know I can't get you quote unquote management internally, but you are actually working with quite a few young associates. You know, what if you put that management hat on in your relationships with them? Right. And it was sort of like, oh, yeah, I am. How do I help them be better lawyers? How do I help them learn my business? How do I help them advance in their careers? Right. And it it was sort of like this big aha moment. And so it's been the approach that I've tried to take, particularly as I'm work if I'm working with more junior associates. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so uh, I, I would say that. What, you know, that was really your leadership development process, right? Yeah. Like you, yeah. You, that was it. Yeah. So I'm curious if you think that business development looks radically different when you're outside counsel versus in-house counsel. No, I don't think it looks radically different. I think um, the legal profession is one that's you will get more out of um, your career if you do invest in one understanding the value that you bring, understanding what your superpower is. And if you don't know what your superpower is, guess what? You can always ask for feedback. You know, you can always ask someone, hey, you've worked with me. What are some of the things you think that I'm really great at? What are some of the things you think I think you think I can improve on? Um, and one, that's feeding into relationship building. That's feeding into that feed, that feedback cycle that you need to grow. I mean, for me, you know, I I can remember going through this process for myself, sort of thinking, well, what is it that I really do well? And okay, I, I thought like I'm a good X and I'm a good Y. Some of the traditional things maybe that you'd have marked down on your as a great lawyer, great lawyer does X. But I, in doing this asking for feedback, I asked um, one of my colleagues who worked with me on a lot of projects, and I said, you know, if there was something you'd say that I do really well, what would it be? And they were like, oh, your superpower is that you take like these crazy complex stuff that no one understands, and you break it down in plain English. And I was like, what? And I was like, that's credibly, that's like incredibly important because then it helps us understand why we've got to do the, the guidance that you gave us. 
it would have never been something that I would have said I'm good at because I'm like, well, I, I need you to understand my guidance. And so getting that feedback as well is, I think, super, is, is incredibly important. So invest in the relationships, you know, someone contacts you, reach back out. And you know what? Sometimes you might miss an email or you might be like, don't forget about it. You know, someone that you care about or that you're investing in a relationship in, um, something good has happened to them, congratulate them. You see an article that might be of interest to them, send it to them. You're speaking on a panel and you're looking for someone to join you, invite them in. Um, So there's a lot of, you know, I think those understanding your value, building the relationships and seeking feedback. So one of the things that I have heard some of our colleagues say is they came in-house to basically not have to do those things. Oh. They, <laughs> like, I, you know, I, basically what they were saying is I didn't want to have to do relationship investment and development. <laughs> I just wanted to kind of show up yeah. and, and do the work. Yeah. And I, I guess... <laughs> I'm going to try to find a delicate way to ask this. For people who take that more mentality where they really do want to kind of stay within the yeah. the space of kind of the four corners of, sure. of their work, what, what are some of the trends you see on their career paths? Well, look, um, and I think I had to sort of even take a step back in some of this myself because... Um, You know, as a colleague, as a manager, you know, I've had the opportunity to have both roles. I've seen it. And I think, look, everybody gets to make a decision about their own career. But just as it is at a a law firm, the same thing holds true if you're working in-house. If you decide that really you want to only take X opportunities that are presented to you, then the reality is that your opportunities will be within that um, that silo, if you will. And that might be absolutely okay. The, the thing that drives me crazy are the people that make that decision and they're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm not the next deputy general counsel. And I'm like, well, you know, or I'm not the VP or I'm not whatever the title is that people, you know, associate, associate with um, going on up the ladder. So I've gotten to a place in my life where I'm like, hey, it's okay to decide to do that because that happens both within law firms or within companies. But understand that you've made a decision to stay in this silo. And so you may not have an opportunity until you decide to do some things outside of that silo to move elsewhere. Um, and, and, And I also realize that's okay. But you've got to be comfortable with that decision. That's the only place where I get a little like, wait, um, as they say, the audio doesn't match the video, right? <laughs> so if your video is, you know, hey, good morning. I, you know, I just really only want to work on this area. This is really all I've got time to do. Um, no, I'm. yeah, I know you want me to talk at that program after work. I. I just can't. That's okay. Or even if it's a program during work, like, you know, I'm, it's, people get asked to do things, lunch programs, whatever the case is, and it's and you make the decision to say, no, that's okay. But just make sure that the audio matches the video, right? Um, which is, uh, frankly, one of my favorite sayings right now. I had a conversation with David Porter, and he used that, and I was like, yes, ah, oh, people, let's, you know, match, match those things up. I, I think that is 
spot on. And one of the things that I, I perceive is that people don't realize that one of their opportunities, especially at a place like this, which is an open construct, is to go find gaps, problems, things that are missing. Like, so many people, when, when you said opportunity, I think for many people it's like they expect somebody's going to show up on their doorstep and say, I have this gift for you. Yeah. And really, in many instances, the opportunity is there's a broken thing over there that you are perfectly capable of making yeah. better and that would be impactful and that you would have a great story to tell afterwards. Mm-hmm. And I think there are a lot of people who are waiting for the kind of the gift wrapped form yeah. of it yeah. rather than the more entrepreneurial form and it doesn't always come I mean no. hey for some people you got the gift right. well amen you know like jump for joy but for a lot of us there's not any packages showing up like you know Amazon didn't make a mistake and drop off a package at your door um, so it really is about finding the opportunity for yourself and that could be a broken process. That could be a more effective way of doing something. That could be big time, like launching a brand new division. I mean, there's so many different ways that you could create impact, but it's it's also incumbent on you for your career to decide, are you that person? Is that something you wanna do? And then to make sure that you are out there looking for those opportunities. And sometimes, um, you know, a good book, a really small book, but a good book, and you've heard me talk about this before, it's like, um, who's moved your cheese, right? Mm -hmm. And I can remember being at a time in my career where the cheese was moved and I was sitting at my desk like, listen, somebody better bring that cheese back. Like, what happened? I was not ready to put my sneakers on, as the book tells you, and go look for the new cheese. Um, And that's not a great place to be in, right? But I had a great mentor who said to me, uh, listen, you better go put some sneakers on and figure out where some other opportunity or other, you know, where you can make some impact. And it changed my lens. And once I was able to do that, then all of a sudden I started to find different ways that I could create my own opportunities and my own impact because there were things that were broken that I could fix. There were things that I could solve that nobody else could solve. And then I just empowered myself, like, okay, go solve it. And guess what? My situation actually, the things around me didn't necessarily change, but my mindset changed. And then that just created opportunities. And I think you infected other people with that mindset. And you also, uh, so you opened the door on something that I want to get into, which is uh, mentorship and sponsorship. So first, I I think people sometimes use mentorship and sponsorship interchangeably. And I'm curious if you, if they are different things to you and if you could define how any differences among them. Oh my gosh, they are completely different things. That's my view. Um, Somebody wants to challenge me, they can send you a comment, but... um, and, and I say that because, frankly, I think as a young professional, I confused them. I collapsed them. I didn't understand. I thought, if I want that person to sponsor me, I, I can go and ask them. Oh, no, no, no. That's not how sponsorship works. Um, mentorship is different. Mentorship is, it can be formal. It can be informal. It can be peer-to-peer mentoring, and I've had a lot of that in my career. You know, when I think about being a young associate, I mean, a lot of my mentors were my other colleagues who might have done something in a, in a just a different way, but it was effective, and I could talk to them about, wait, how, how did you do that? I want to do it like that, because that you landed that really well compared to the way I'm doing it here. Mentors that were above me, who were further along in their careers, who could look back and say, 
hey, Elka, <laughs> you might want to tweak that. You may want to change that. So the way I think about mentorship is it's really those folks, they may know they're your mentor. You could ask them to be a mentor or they might not know and you just get mentorship from them anyway. Um, but they're the folks who are helping you um, see around corners, helping provide some guidance to you, helping you understand, if you will, the, 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 the rules of the playing field, things of that nature. A sponsor is completely different. Um, a lot of us don't realize that I think you've got to actually put yourself in a position to build a relationship with potential people that could be your sponsors. And what, what does that mean? That means usually sponsors are someone who are in a position of um, influence, power, and authority. They're someone who hasn't, who build up enough credibility at a level higher than yours that when you, they are in the room and promotions are being discussed or new opportunities are being discussed, they are in the room and they have a voice at the table that has, that has some impact. So they're and often like two clicks up they're or, usually, or, more, or more. Or more. Yeah. Or more, right? Um, but they can be the person that is in the room that says, hey, have you thought about Elka? Have you thought about Jason? Hey, I think Elka would be really good for this. Jason, he'd be amazing at this. And if someone in that room says, well, I'm not really quite sure, they have enough um, uh, credibility in that room to say, well, actually, I'm pretty sure about it, and I'm willing to put my chips, if you will, figuratively, behind Elko or Jason. Um, and that's really different. Now, one of the things I think I've learned along the way, probably a little too late in my career, but you know, hey, you keep learning, is to actually take a step back and and really understand who are the people in your in your space that are your mentors? Because we all need mentorship. Who are the people in your space that are your sponsors? And sometimes you have a sponsor and you don't even know. But at least understanding who could be positioned and then what's your relationship with that person. And just because someone's in a position of power or in a position of influence doesn't necessarily mean that you will or could build a relationship with them, but you've got to understand that. And then decide how do you want to you know invest there so it also sounds like you don't think about this in a singly sourced way like no. there's not just one person no how do you like how do you think about that do you um you know i don't think i've always been like if i think about things i might, i could have done better along the way in my career it's certainly taking a step back to do better at relationship building and investment than I did when I was a younger attorney. And I say that because there are people that I should have been investing back in from a, even if that were senior to me that could have helped me create at an earlier time in my career sponsorship relationships or an opportunity to be sponsored by someone. I've heard you use the term board of directors. Yes. And that I, that, that is what yes. I think I see you operating. It seems like you have uh, a diverse composition mm -hmm. of folks at different levels, yes. different yeah. career stages, kind of different strengths, different capabilities. In and outside of the company. That's right. And, you know, it's funny because I think thinking about people that way is actually a great framework. Um, I probably thought about it a little, a little more informally before I heard that phrase or really understood, like, wait, yeah. And it's cr incredibly important to even sit down and think about who are 
the people that you want to be on your board of directors. But to even understand that, you've got to understand what does a board of directors do? They are the people that kind of can take a step back and look at a company, i.e. you, and say, wow, here's some of the things I think you should be doing that can really help drive growth, development. Here's the opportunities I think that might be helpful to you. Or, hey, you know, slow down. You're thinking about going down this path? I'm not sure about that. Do you, let me give you some counsel. Now, a board of directors, they don't um, completely de- determine what you get to what you do, but it is surely a great thing to have people that can offer you that sort of counsel, particularly professionally. Hell, you could even have them per- personally. But I have found that um, once I kind of realized, like, I've got to think about this. Um, I, I was doing it informally, but it, it always existed. But I loved learning that concept of I do have a board of directors. I have a set of people and they change. And sometimes they're not all more senior than I am. Some are peer at, at my peer level. Some are above and some are very senior and some are retired. Some I work with, some are outside of the company so that I can understand how is this even seen externally? How should I be thinking about this opportunity or that opportunity? Um, so it's been incredibly helpful. Yeah. So th- this is one of those pages uh, from your playbook that I, I steal uh, <laughs> without any regard for, for, for the impropriety of it. Because I do think that the way you talk about this and the way that you frame it is, um, is actionable. It is something that you can actually turn into action. So if you have a board of directors, if you're management, you need to keep them informed. Right? Yes. Yeah. The only way they can keep you accountable yeah. is if you keep them informed. And yeah. it is their job to bring strategic opportunity, but they can only understand that if they understand your goals, yeah. like what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah. I think, um, you know, as I've, be, as I've gotten older, <laughs> uh, and I might be on, here's the other thing. This is how the way I want to say this is, I have in my mind who are on my board of directors. But one of the other things I've learned is there are probably people who think they're on my board of directors. And how am I managing those relationships as well? And so understanding when to surface up information, when to not, um, you know, when you should be sharing things with your board of directors or even those people who maybe they aren't quote unquote on your board, but you know what? They're just in the wings waiting to be part of your board of directors. So you should be, you know, keeping a connection and a contact with them as well. I mean, the worst scenario for anyone is to have someone who's been investing in you, whether that's through uh, operating as a member of your board of directors formally or informally, um, a mentor or a sponsor, and you make a move or you do something and you fail to share and build a relationship with them by by giving them information about some of the things that you're doing or you're thinking about doing. That makes sense. Yeah. So, so there, there's there's one other thing that I will uh, remark upon that I have borrowed from your playbook. Uh, as you, as a member of I, who I regard as a member of my board of directors, one thing that you do a great job of holding me accountable on is whatever investment you make in me, mm-hmm. you really require that I invest in other people. Absolutely. And that is one of the reasons why I think that you have an amazing compounding effect because it's not just your direct impact on people. It's that you ask them to grow and find ways to give that to others. And it is it is a wonderful pyramid scheme that I am <laughs> happy to be a part of. Yeah. Uh, well, the time has flown by. This is crazy. Wow. Uh, yeah. Great. So we're actually over. So okay. 
thank you so much for making the time to chat today. Uh, this has been gold, and I, I'm just grateful that you are here and that you made time to share your wisdom with us. Jason, this has been an incredible opportunity. Thank you so much for inviting me, and I have just completely enjoyed working with you and learning from you over the years. And so this podcast has been fantastic. Thanks. Thank you so much. I hope that you all enjoyed hearing from Elka. She really is just a delight and one of those special people that makes coming to work here fun. I wanted to close this episode with a special shout out to Jeroen Doring of Covington and Burling. He is on the uh, relationship team uh, for one of our strategic partners. And I want to note that uh, he does something that is kind of special and that we appreciate. And it's that he really is courageous in telling us what he actually thinks. And I realize that may sound like a somewhat minor and inconsequential thing, but he really does take our partnership very seriously. And sometimes that means telling us things that I think don't feel comfortable for him to say, but they're the right thing to say, and they're the necessary thing to say. And it makes our partnership more effective, and it really does build trust. And so I know that a lot of people think that being a relationship partner probably means, uh, I don't know, buying steak dinners and offering platitudes, but one of the things that uh, we respect so much about folks like your own is he's not afraid to say things that need to be said. And so uh, Rebecca Benavidez and I were just uh, remarking on that uh, and kind of our catch up on this week. And I thought I'd throw it in. So uh, shout out to you, your own Dory. Uh, we really appreciate what you do for us. And we realize that uh, <laughs> it takes a little bit of courage to sometimes tell the clients uh, things that it doesn't feel like we might want to hear, but I promise you, we really do want to hear that. So again, we are grateful. Thank you.